culture. 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 Equality, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Religion as culture. It's hard to define. Belonging. I would get passed over. Conflict. Conversation. There are conflicts that happen. It's life. Celebrate differences. Compromise. Cooperation. Culture. Mm -hmm. Culture and belonging. Welcome to the Culture and Belonging podcast from Troy University in the Office of Institutional Research, Planning, and Effectiveness. I'm Rich Lede. And I'm Wendy Broyles. On this show, we talk a lot about culture and how we can better understand different cultures. But maybe the best way to get to know a new culture is to get on a plane and go experience it for yourself. Our guest today is helping students do just that. Dr. Kelly Suero is an associate professor of Spanish at Troy University. She's going to tell us about her experiences leading study abroad trips to South America and how she makes sure her students take home a lot more than a few nice pictures. Today we are with Dr. Kelly Suero, and I think the audience needs to hear a little bit about who you are from you. Okay. Not me. Sure. Well... My favorite thing to do, other than teaching all day, every day, is I like to take students abroad. Since I've been here, I've been here nine years now, I've led several study abroad trips to Argentina, Uruguay, and Peru. And this coming May, just in a few months, we're going to Argentina again. My colleague and I, Rachel Fournier, are taking 17 students to Argentina, which I believe is one of the biggest groups going this year. So we're very, very excited. May is late fall for Argentina. It sure is. So what's the weather it like? It sure is. So good point. So our seasons have flopped, right? So right. It's not summertime down there. However, Argentina is incredibly diverse, even climate-wise. In the north, you have the cataratas, which are the waterfalls. You have the dry desert in the west. You have the Andean region all the way through. And in the bottom, we have the glaciers. And the snow and all of those fun things. One of the last things we'll be doing on the trip is visiting a place called Ushuaia, which is the southernmost city in the entire world. So we'll be looking at penguins and sea lions and just seeing what they do before they hop on over to Antarctica. And you're going to see glaciers. Yes, we will climb the world's oldest living glacier in Argentina. That's fantastic. I think so. I've already done it. And I told my students if I can do it. You can do it. I promise. It's just the wrong month, though. It's supposed to be warm. <laughs> no, it's that is very northern hemisphere centric of you, Rich. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> she caught me with some hemisphere bias. Because <laughs> we're also in the Americas in the south, right? That's right. That's right. Still the Americas. Still the Americas. That's crazy. But really cool and cold. We're cold. excited. It will be cold, some of it. Now, even in May in Buenos Aires, it's like light light jacket weather. So oh, yeah. you would be fine like this. Yeah. But yeah, once we get down to the glacier, you don't want to wear a heavy coat. So you're clearly an advocate for study abroad. Yes. And one of the things we're working on, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, is because we want to use some of our stories and our experiences and our research even to help promote intercultural competence. Mm -hmm. What are students getting out of the study abroad experience that's going to contribute to their cultural knowledge, their cultural awareness, but also their ability to work and experience life 
with other people, with people from different cultural backgrounds. Right. So they're living it, right? So the class that they take is actually called Culture on Location. Ooh. Right. So, and and I've done the, the math. They have over 90 contact hours in the language just all around them. I've taken out, we'll say, eight hours to sleep. That's being a little bit generous, <laughs> to be honest. But over 90 hours of pure Spanish immersion, right? Now, I have students from all levels of Spanish. I have some students that know only how to say maybe hola or you know, quiero una enchilada when they go to the restaurants here. But then we have some seniors who are Spanish majors, minors, and um, are a little bit more versed in Spanish and can help out everybody else. But um, what they do is they see, they live everything that they've been learning in class, everything that they've seen in their books, everything I've shown them in class, they're living it. They're seeing it with their own eyes and they're experiencing it firsthand. Academic knowledge can only go so far, right? We can read about it as much as we want, but being in the country, being around the people, speaking Spanish with native speakers, that's what makes a difference. And that's what gives them at least more of a general understanding of the culture that we're in, which will be in Argentina and Uruguay. And it begins the process of belonging. Okay, so then these students go on this trip of a lifetime. Really difficult to repeat that experience for the students. But what are they? What are they bringing back? Like what? What is this preparing them for future-wise? Right. So along the trip, we we do different things. I've I've done a different trip each time in Argentina. Believe it or not, over the last nine years, except for when I went to Peru in 2022. I try to design a trip where if a student went one year and they decided they wanted to go the next year, it would be a totally different experience. That's good. Because I do have repeaters. Mm -hmm. They can't get enough, right? Why do they like Argentina? The people. That's what they tell me. We do amazing things. We, you know, we go hiking and skiing in the Andes, truly things that one says, this is a bucket list item. But every time I come back, the feedback is I loved interacting with the locals. I love talking to the people. They made me feel like family and they didn't even know me. You know, and taking a slight step back, I might take a big step back. We here can a jump. Bit. We can leap all the okay. way back. It, there's a systematic process, though. Like you, you create a class. Like mm-hmm. we're not just going abroad to take some pictures and hang out with other people. I'm so there's that. still something systematic about what you're doing. Right. And maybe just tell me a little bit more about that. Like how do you go about that process, creating essentially a syllabus? Right. And and we do have a syllabus because they are going for credits. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I do is when I go into creating the syllabus, when I think about what do I want my students to get out of these two weeks here, right? Because this is a short term faculty led trip. I'm realistic, right? I've lived abroad. My first study abroad experience was when I was 18 years old. I went through Rotary International. I lived in Argentina. I was dropped in a small town where I was the only foreigner there in a town of 40,000 people. So I think about that. I'm thinking for two weeks, what can my students get out of this that they can take back and say, that was worth it? Not only because I have beautiful pictures, but I feel that my language skills are better. I feel that my people skills are better, even in English, because when you're outside of your comfort zone, which they automatically will be once they get to the Atlanta airport, 
<laughs> I've seen that. It's it's a completely new process for them, right? So they're I consider all of my students adults. Once you're at Troy, you're an adult, right? But you have to do a lot of growing up in the two weeks that you're abroad. Sometimes we don't have great internet connection, right? You can't call home. You can't text home all the time. So they are relying on themselves. They're relying on me, too, and they trust me. Most of these students know me. Um, but they they do a lot of soul-searching on this trip, too. So we look at our syllabus and we say, what do we want to get out of this? We have structured classes in the morning where they do language learning, right? We don't sit on a, on a bus and pop off and, and take a picture and get back on the bus. That's okay to do that. That's not what I want to do for my trips with the language, right? So we make sure that um, the schedule is varied so they're not in the same place for 10 days. I, I would be bored to death. I'm not going to do a trip that I'm bored with. <laughs> so we might move around every three to four days, but I make sure ahead of time that we have a location there where we go, we learn this. In Peru, for example, um, and we can talk about this a little bit later, which is part of my research, my students were able to learn a bit of Quechua, which is the indigenous language to Cusco, Peru. And so they do a lot of things that not a lot of people get the opportunity to do, right? So language is a is a crucial part of it. And a very specific, detailed itinerary. People love that, and I understand. So we have that. They know when they will eat, more or less. They know what activities we'll be doing in the afternoon. And then at the end, I put in an asterisk, plans can change. <laughs> so, so far, I have been incredibly proud of my students for handling that well. Um, you know, they just learn, I think, very important lifelong skills. What do I do when I'm in a situation with a person or in an environment that I don't feel completely comfortable in or with? You get through it, right? You talk it, you talk through it, you get the courage to use the little Spanish that you might know to make a connection, to make that contact, right? That's sort of my personal goal with these short-term trips. It's to give them a taste of the culture, right? Are you going to be fluent in Spanish in two weeks? Absolutely not. I hope you're not expecting to do that because it's not gonna happen. Will you be more proficient if you put in the time and energy? Sure. Will you have an amazing time? I guarantee that. And you'll also probably be in a little bit better position in terms of your own comfort level. Right. You know, you might be a little bit more prone to step into that uncomfortable space because you've already been there a little bit. I've yeah. been there. Exactly. Believe it or not, I was actually a lot more shy when I was younger the looks on the faces here. Don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when I lived in Argentina by myself as an 18-year-old, I quickly learned because my friends told me, you have to speak to us. You know, I know you you don't really know what you're saying because you're not fluent in the language yet, but we can't get to know you until you do. Yeah. And so I found myself in situations with my friends from school where we were driving around in their car (laughs) I was just listening to them talk, and I'd just be like in Spanish, I'd say, what a beautiful day. And they would just laugh because they knew that was all I could say at the time, right? But it gave me the courage. You know, it's a baby step. And that's what I tell the students. Say what you can. You have to start small before you can have these full-fledged conversations entirely in Spanish. You have to start somewhere. If you're quiet, you won't just open your mouth and all of a sudden it comes out beautifully 
fluent. So that's the idea with these short-term trips. I want to give them a taste. Hopefully they go back. Like I said, I have repeaters who, who have gone with me several times. And I welcome that because I know that they've had a good time. And it sounds like something that's going to be life-altering. Yeah. Well, and if you have this experience, like that's applicable to life in general. We go, we do, we get out of our comfort zone, we learn something new, we find out, oh, I can actually handle this. If you can ask a complete stranger in Buenos Aires standing on the corner for directions to the nearest pizzeria, you can handle anything. <laughs> when you come back to Troy, no fears. Right. Right. You you've had to step out of your comfort zone a lot of times to survive. And that's what we teach them. These are basic survival skills, especially in our lower levels of Spanish. They learn basic vocabulary, basic grammatical structures. We say, if we dropped you here, could you survive? We hope the answer is yes. We, we feel <laughs> that the answer will be yes. And that's why, you know, I'm there as a, as a source if they need me. But my job, too, I love to sort of step back and observe, right? I'm there. I'm making sure everything is going as smoothly as possible. But I give them a lot of independence, too, so that they can go to a cafe and order for themselves and feel more confident, not just in the language, but in the fact that, hey, I'm in this other country doing yeah. this by myself. This is pretty cool. Yeah, confident in their own skin. That's right. If Wendy doesn't ask you to define culture, I will. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of one of the things I like to do. By all means. Yeah, we're talking about culture, but... One thing we've we've learned is a lot of everybody's got slightly different conceptualizations of culture. Some of us use it in our research. Mm-hmm. Some of us like to experience it in addition to using it in our research. But what is when we say culture, what do, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What does that mean to you? It seems a bit overwhelming, right? When you just think of what is that? How do we define culture? How do we break that down? It's such a multifaceted concept, right? It encompasses such a wide range of human experiences, beliefs, values, practices. It really touches virtually every aspect of the human experience, I think, from language and communication to social organization to art to technology. So I think that's what makes it a bit overwhelming. But I think when we break it down into micro macro concepts, it's a bit more manageable, right? So when I think of micro at the micro level, I'm thinking of the shared beliefs, values, norms, customs. I'm thinking of cuisine, the cuisine of a certain place. I'm thinking of the language. I'm thinking of the art they make. Macro, at a macro level, I'm thinking bigger, right? We're looking at broader patterns of behaviors and beliefs. I sort of think of political structures, economic structures, things like that, at more of a global, on more of a global scale, right? We could look at a an entire civilization, or really extend that globally. So I think it's a bit more manageable when we break it down into those things when we look at a particular culture. And Rich is just nodding his head and pointing (laughs) at me, because my question then is, the other half of the name of the show is belonging. How do you define belonging? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) So I I really think of belonging as as a relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship because I think it involves both a personal identification with and recognition by others 
within a shared cultural group, right? So I think of shared identity. This is how one identifies with the beliefs and values and traditions that are really characteristic of a culture. I think it involves participation in cultural practices, right? So I think of engaging in rituals in that specific culture. I relate this back to Argentina. If you know anything about Argentines, they love to drink something called mate, it's tea. It's a shared experience, right? It's, it's a strong tea. I, I actually, I bring some back with me every year um, for my students to share, but this is a ritual in Argentina and you are left out if you do not participate. So one of the first things I learned was, I'm gonna drink whatever this, whatever's in there, this is happening. I wanna be a part of this, right? It's literally a shared experience. So the way it's it's prepared is it's in a like a pumpkin gourd. It's, it's called sherba mate leaves, very healthy. It's good for your digestion, all the things. It has caffeine, so lots of students drink it, right? And it, it you drink it with, a metal straw called a bombisha. So you you share it. You share it. So you take a drink and you pass it around. And I had to learn, I had to learn a lot of the the norms of how to do this cuz me being my polite Oklahoman self, as soon as I received it, I would say gracias. And they said, "You only say gracias when you're done." <laughs> so, you know, I I had to learn all of these things, but cultural practices really makes you feel like you belong, right? And then, of course, language and communication. So I think proficiency in the language spoken by a cultural group certainly fosters a sense of belonging. I think it facilitates expression and communication. And then I think, lastly, I think about acceptance and recognition. So I think this involves the person stepping into the culture and saying to the, the people in this culture, this is what I can bring. This is this is what I can bring you guys, right? Um, and really being valued for one's contributions to that culture. Because I loved my experience so much in Argentina the first time, I've been back now 14 times in my life. Um, and because of my feeling of belonging, right, I identify very much with a lot of the elements of the culture and certainly feel accepted by the members of the culture. I was like, I need to get a PhD and incorporate this somehow, right? And so at the time, what was really interesting to me was studying the last dictatorship of Argentina. I didn't quite go the complete poli-sci route, but I did incorporate it in my dissertation. That's one thing I tell my students. You can incorporate your likes into anything you want to do. You don't have to lose that just because, you know, I didn't declare a poli-sci major, which I love poli-sci majors. Go poli-sci majors. But for me, you know, I wanted to concentrate more on Spanish, on the language, on Latin America. So it made sense for that to be sort of a side thing. So what I ended up doing was... I ended up working with an organization, a very well-known human rights organization called Abuelas de Plaza de Macho. They've been nominated five times for a Nobel Peace Prize. I worked alongside the president there. I ended up publishing about it. And I ended in order to gain access to their archives. So the deal I the deal I made with them was I would like to interview members of this organization. So essentially this organization, they are the grandmothers, that's abuelas in Spanish, they are the grandmothers of the kidnapped 
babies during Argentina's last dictatorship, right? So either their daughters, their daughter-in-laws that were pregnant and gave birth in clandestine concentration camps in Argentina, they were often sold to friends of the ultra-right military at the time. They were left in orphanages. And so they are still, there's about 500 total. And as of now, I believe they're in around 140, 150 that they have identified, right? So I wanted to interview found grandchildren who are about my age now, and um, which isn't fun. This is not a fun topic, right? But it's important. It's Mm -hmm. important to be told because there's still missing grandchildren out there, right? Missing in the sense of not knowing their true identity. And so in exchange for that, I worked, they have their own library, Abuelas de Plaza de Macho in downtown Buenos Aires. So I would work on their archives. I saw a lot of things that the public eye has never seen before. I helped them categorize their library all for free, but really not because in exchange, I got to conduct these interviews with the vice president, Rosa Rosenbleet. And again, I worked with the president herself. That all goes to say that that was sort of my way of, of showing them this is what I can... Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. This is what I can give you guys because you've allowed me this access. Well, that's the reciprocity. Yes. You know, and once you've given that and experienced that, it's you, know, you, you probably don't want to lose that. Right. You know, so it's important to become aware of cultural customs and, you know, so you can not just as a researcher who wants access. Right. 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 But also just simply as a human who maybe wants to experience humanity. Exactly. You know. And and all of these things essentially in my opinion at least they they lead to intercultural competency, right? So to me the ability to effectively communicate respectfully across cultural boundaries, right? Um again, I think academic knowledge and language profici- proficiency are really the seed, I think that's the base, but it goes much deeper than that. It's a deeper understanding and appreciation of the culture and being able to navigate often complex intercultural issues, right? I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a lifelong process. You never achieve it. You never say, I have intercultural competency. You say, I'm in it, right? I'm interested because it requires ongoing self-reflection, curiosity, and openness. I like that development component that you bring in. You got to appreciate. You know, there's an appreciation that you, you, you may already have one, but until you experience another culture, I think that level of appreciation gets a bit deeper. You know, having done work in a different culture where tea is a main part of mm-hmm. social interactions, right. and it, it's more than hospitality, yeah. you know, it's a ceremony, it's, it's a way to Absolutely. forge a connection over tea, you know, and several different cultures do this. Mm-hmm. And you, know? you don't even, some, you may not even like the tea, but you're going to do it. My, who ended up being my best friend in Argentina, I remember one day, I didn't know, until after a while, she said, I don't even like this. <laughs> and I was like, then why are you drinking it? Because I don't want to be left out. This, yeah. I'm part of the group. You just do it, you know. Now, I like it. I will say I want to give a good name to Mate. Ask my students who come to Spanish Coffee Hour. I run a Spanish Coffee Hour every first and third Wednesday of the month. 
in my department in Wright Hall 212. It's open to anybody who wants to come and just practice their Spanish. And I show them these different teas from Argentina. And it's a way for them. It's a window into a different culture via me, right? So they're, they're touching the tea. They're drinking it. It's a tangible experience for them. Hopefully they do get to go abroad with me, but some of them may never do it, right? Yeah. And this is as close as they can get. So um, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I've been doing ter- it's Tertulia Spanish Coffee Hour um, basically since I came to Troy, and it has just gotten better and better. Obviously, COVID aside, um, that that took a, a dip and everything. But lately, we've had the highest number that we've ever had. That's great. Yes, yeah, so much so that the last, I believe, the last coffee hour we had, there weren't enough chairs. We were sitting on the floor. Oh wow. I was one of them. I don't care. I'll sit on the floor and chat with you, sure. And it was just a great experience. And I think sometimes we often think what we're doing is small, and it, maybe it is small in a lot of ways. But after that, the, our first session of the semester, I had a student from Myanmar send me a message, and um, he's currently taking 1141, starting out, very nervous to come to coffee hour. He was very scared and said, I don't know, you know, if I'm going to be able to keep up with everyone. I reassured him. I actually told him, sometimes we look at this as more of a group therapy. We're just there to talk and hang out and just let you exist however you want to. And so it, it was so fulfilling for me to see that usually it's an hour, three to four. And I think that day we left at 5.30. Oh, wow. They were just, I didn't want to kick them out. They were having so much fun. But um, he sent me a message and just said, I just wanted to thank you. This was exactly what I needed. He said, my soul felt rejuvenated. I, you know, this is my first time away from home. I'm just still making friends and getting to know people. And I met new friends here. And I wanted to thank you for that. That blew me away. And you think it's such a little thing. But I think it's a really good point that even the little things, the things that we don't think are important to us could be such a huge thing for somebody else. Well, and there's a flip side of that, too, is not doing some of those little things, not caring about some of those little things may actually cause that you might actually shift the needle towards the conflict side of cultural engagements because, you know, you can come off as, well, not caring or being disrespectful or, you know, in the case of, you know, I mean, you've got an international student here who's native tongue is not Spanish exactly. or English. You know? or yeah. English. So you've got like a few things going on, but that one little gesture is like, no, come, 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 come to class, anyway. you know, come, come on, anyway. you're fine. You're welcome here. You right. know, that one little welcoming gesture, maybe that student was on the verge of leaving right. and going back home, right. you know, and, and truncating the experience. Right. So those little things sometimes, if we're not doing them or if we're not cognizant, you know, if taking care of the little things mm-hmm. that can lead to, you know, that can have a cascading effect in the negative direction. So then if a listener only heard this next thing that you say, like what would the one thing be that you want to make sure people hear in this conversation? Have a conversation with someone you've never talked to before. Even if you think, you know, I don't know what native language this person speaks. Are we going to understand one another? 
see what happens, right? You might meet your next best friend. I think study abroad is the first step to doing that, right? It plants the seed of what we call intellectual curiosity, right? It it plants that seed. It makes them think about what else is out there, right? What else is out there besides Argentina? Maybe I want to go to Africa or Europe, you know? It plants something that I think never, never dies. Once you do it, you're gonna wanna do it all the time. So I guess that would be my main takeaway, right? Study abroad, be curious, have a conversation with people, try something new. It it makes us more compassionate and understanding global citizens, which I think is ultimately the point. Our guest for this episode of Culture and Belonging has been Dr. Kelly Suero, Associate Professor of Spanish at Troy University. We hope that you'll subscribe to the Culture and Belonging podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And get involved by tweeting us at BelongingPod. Give us your ideas on what cultural topics we should cover next. Your idea just might end up on the show. Culture and Belonging is produced by Troy University in the studios of Troy Public Radio by Austin Toy with help from Kyle Gassett. So until next time, I'm Wendy Broyles. And I'm Rich Lede, and this is Culture and Belonging. Culture and Belonging.